and we're back and we're back and we're back after being like everybody else quarantine pandemic all yeah. that stuff yeah sheesh man we're I'm still here sheesh. we're still and here and i'm not on fire uh, the rest of california and, is but i'm not yeah i'm glad i don't live in california now. um but uh how are you jody you, you good <laughs> i mean let's just pretend like everything's amazing it's fantastic. everybody's going through this but overall i mean I, you're doing all right i mean overall yeah. i mean your family's good family's great we can drive to the beach yeah it's good it's good smoke is in the air smoke is in the air ash is falling the sun looks like the apocalypse is near jody lives in california by the way that's jody livingston he's a student pastor out in california i'm chris trent i'm a student pastor in marietta georgia right outside of atlanta and suburb of dallas (laughs) suburb that's a that's for the that's a um yeah, okay. Inside joke. Uh, Listeners will know. Inside right. joke for yeah, you know, regulars will know. Um, it's been a while, but you know, hey, everybody, it's been a while for everything. And we, we don't need to explain it all. We just we've just been trying to figure things out. And but a guy by the name of Dr. Tim Elmore came out with this amazing book called The Pandemic Population. And as soon as it came out, I started reaching out and trying to pull some strings. And we were able to get Dr. Tim Elmore on to come talk about this thing, and it's a ridiculously amazing. So if there's one that we're gonna come back on, it's this one. It's yeah, amazing. and I would I would say it's such awesome. a good interview. Jimmy Cricket is good. I would say it's awesome, but I feel like he kind of <laughs> yeah. was the end. He... You're gonna have to listen to the podcast to understand why you're making that joke. Yeah, you realize it right. I can't yeah. say it's awesome, so, but it was yeah. it was very very good. Yeah, the book is great. Ah, uh, the book really is good, and uh, I think after you hear the interview, you'll want to hear from this guy. The so, book's great for a number of reasons that we'll get to. I mean, when you hear the interview, you'll understand why the content is fantastic. But it's an easy read. Like it's a compelling read. It it pulls you along. It's not like, you know, some books are really really great and super helpful, but you kind of have to grind through them. This one, man, oh, this was this was good. Oh, it's so, so easy, so easy. So, so hey, great. to our youth pastor friends out there, to our longer haulers, man, hang in there. We love you. We're trying to hang in there too, you know. And it's not the end of the world. I believe that. And. uh there's going to be some awesome stuff through this thing, I believe. So yeah, hang I in think, there, and, think, and, and, and we're trying to get back on a regular schedule. Um, we've got a couple things planned. That's pretty indeed. awesome. So um, we're trying to put out some content again and uh, get back after it. So, yeah. Yep. And as always, super grateful for folks who do help us make this happen. Our friends over yes, at YM360. We still have sponsors, believe it or not. YM360 yes, uh, is a our huge friends, partners for us in ministry, and uh, man, as always, super thankful for all that those guys do and are working on and putting out. So um, head over to YM360. They have pivoted really well. Like they've done yeah. a great job pivoting and producing content that's very relevant to what we're going through. Yes. So check check them out if you're not yep. doing that already. Indeed, you can use the promo longer haul. Save yourself some money um, on that. And then aerosport.fun. Fantastic game. Still, I mean, it's still, I, I have played it recently because I have nothing else to do. Stuck at home. And uh, super fun game, aerosport.fun. Be sure to head over and check out that as well, especially as you are 
beginning to regather with students, um, introduce something new, you can uh, use promo code there as well. And then we have a new sponsor. How in the world did we get a new sponsor in the midst of all this and having not done a podcast in months? I don't know, but we do. And here's why. Because I have a really good friend by the name of Barrett Johnson who runs this little organization called Info for Families. Info for Families, uh, fabulous website, fabulous blogging this guy does. He does has lots of great resources for parenting teenagers. So here's what we're talking, folks. Uh, don't miss this. Um, he can help you do parent ministry. He's got some great resources. And in particular, specifically, the one that we're promoting and that he's he's helping us uh, by sponsoring um, is this really amazing video series that he's designed for parents called uh, Smartphones 101. Long story short, here, here's the quick version of a smartphone, Smartphones 101 online course for families and their teens designed to tee up some meaningful conversations about smartphones with wisdom, right? So parents struggle. When do I get a smartphone? What are the rules we need to set? He goes through and he does these 10 short video lessons. They're only about seven minutes each um, to cover all the family rules, the things you should do. This is an amazing resource that you could get and utilize with your parents. You could do this in a couple of ways. You could, number one, just make it available to your parents, or two, you could uh, you could get it and actually do like a Sunday night gathering of some sort. You could do it over Zoom. Um, lots of ways you could do this thing. Trust me, it's good. Here's why I know it's good, Jody. You want to know the truth? Because he's going to listen to this. Because he stole most of my stuff when he read it. That's the truth. <laughs> I think so, when he uh, was on the podcast, we we hashed that out. We covered that when he was on the podcast. We talked about that. I'm glad you've bit. I'm glad you've gotten over it. That your bitterness I'm not is over gone, it. and that I'm you, not over it. I should have made a, a video series about it. But thankful he's sponsoring me now. All that he's to just say, this smarter than you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll just say this. Uh, two great offers for student pastors. One, you can use the promo code. There's a promo code. We like Longer those. Hall. You get 25% off the retail price. 25% off the retail pl- price. And not only that, here's the deal. If you use, if you promote this to your parents, uh, you can become like an affiliate and he's actually going to give you a little cut. Now, you got to do that the appropriate way there. And yeah. you might even do a thing where I like I might would recommend maybe saying, hey, that's gonna go to the budget or something like that. But you know, you be you, you do what you want. All that to say, all that information is simply right here. Go to smartphones dash one oh one. Smartphones dash one oh one dot com. Check it out. Barrett Johnson, and he's gonna be on an episode real soon. Uh and we're gonna talk about it a little bit more, but uh, but really we're gonna talk about some other stuff because he's got a great mind when it comes to parenting and teenagers, because he's a former youth pastor at Bleed's Youth Ministry. So well, check it out. It's a really relevant timing for that, because that even comes out oh in today's, today's interview. We talk about Ooh, that a little with Dr. Totally Elmore. Does. So. Totally does. Smartphones-101.com. Check it out. Woohoo! Well, should we jump in? Oh, so good. Let's do it. Here we go, everybody. Uh, buckle up, because... Uh, hold on, hold on. See, they were all ready to go. And then I know, but listen, this the is brakes. important. You're going to want something to write with on this one. Tell me I'm wrong, Jody. No, yeah, definitely. You're going to. Okay, yeah, there's, so there's, a few, there's a few moments where he he's literally going to lay out for you some helpful things to take two parents and two students as Just your process. Just get something to write with if you're listening in your car or on your motorcycle. or <laughs> Listen, your... Oh, mister, I finally got a motorcycle. Now look at him. 
dropped a little motorcycle bomb there. Uh, so listen, you're gonna want to you're gonna want to take notes on this one. Trust me. All right, there we All go. Right. Here we go, Doctor Tim Elmore, aka Tim. Well, we're super excited. Welcome, Doctor Tim Elmore, to the show, man. Tim, we're so glad that you've joined us today. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Jody. Well, hey, uh, we're excited about the book that that you have out, The Pandemic Population, and uh, Jody and I both have been reading it, and uh, I've got about a chapter or two left. I'm going to be honest up front with you on it, but but uh, <laughs> but I've read most of it, at least, which is pretty good for me, right, Jody? That's, Jody, you don't like more than I most. confess that. More, more than most. <laughs> no, it's, that's yeah, yeah. Uh, but that said, um, here's the thing. I love it, especially how quick you got it out and everything. But uh, talk about the heart, I guess, just kind of start out. What's the heart part behind that? And you know what? Before we do that, actually, let's talk about who you are. If you could give us kind of a quick introduction to your background and then maybe jump into why you wrote the book. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for um, the conversation today. It's great to be with you guys. Um, I actually started as a youth pastor and a teacher, a high school teacher. Uh, so I was doing both of those Um Gosh, 40 years ago. So it was a long time ago. In 1983, I went on staff with John Maxwell. And so my love of students, my love of leadership. John um, Maxwell, is he like an author or something? I'm trying to remember, but I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> yes, he's kind of like an author. Yeah, uh, I think he did write some books or something. Yeah. Yes, so. that's right. Yeah, one one a month, I think. Anyway, um, in 2003, <laughs> I started a nonprofit called Growing Leaders and it really is uh, a nonprofit that partners with churches, schools, universities, athletic programs, wherever kids are, uh, to really equip the adult leader to know how to connect with Generation Z. Uh, and then also um, we use habitudes, these images that start conversations for the students themselves. And it's all about social emotional learning, uh, leadership, character, um, I am a man of faith. Our whole team is, but most of our work, 80% of our work is with public schools. And so uh, we love what we get to do, but that's, that's, that's great. Yeah. And that's fabulous that you're able to do that with the public. That's awesome. That's good. Yeah. Well, how about the book? So, pandemic population. Yeah. Obviously we're going through pandemic. Most people listening to this are that's probably going to be listening yeah. to it right in the midst of we're still going through it. Yeah. So uh, man, talk about the heart behind this thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you you and I both know we were already seeing mental health issues in middle school, high school, and college kids, like ridiculous. In fact, even elementary school kids, we would talk to faculty and they'll go, yeah, our second graders are just full of angst and they're stressed out. And I'm going, man, they should be wondering where the kickball is, you know? So we saw that already prior to the pandemic, mid-March of 2020, when we saw that everybody was sent home and we saw what a struggle it was for parents and teachers to manage this remote learning and, and, you know, the, the virtual graduation, the lack of a prom, all that stuff that was happening. I just knew I needed to get, just hunker down and do some research and create a resource that would help the caring adults that love these kids, but don't, aren't quite sure how to help them navigate. They have to be a therapist right now, Chris and Jody. It's just, you know, it's just a different day. So one last quick note on this. Um, the first thing I did that really prompted the book was I went back and studied history. What did people do in past pandemics? What did we learn from that? What good came from that? And what did the adults do for the kids as much as we could dig up that would inform us today? Like, for instance, I interviewed a whole bunch of Great Depression kids. You know, yes. the people that, that are part of the book is yeah. awesome. That's like yeah, the first couple of chapters that what you're talking about right now is one of the I, I love that part because you go back 
And all of a sudden it's, you're, you're like, Oh, wait a second. Yeah. We're not the first ones to ever go through something like this before. <laughs> That's right. And, and, and then, and what's beautiful is you, you're able to weave that back in throughout the rest of the book as well. And it, and it builds on top of that. So that part is awesome. Incredible. Well, thanks. I, all that to say, I was really catalyzed, I think, to do this book when I found out the adults during that Great Depression led those kids so well, by and large. There were some exceptions, but those kids came out with grit and resilience and a desire to grow and maybe be an entrepreneur. My dad was an entrepreneur. He, My dad turns 90 this year, and uh, he is a product of the Great Depression, says it was the greatest years of his life, but I think it was because he was led well during that tough time. So my hope is we can do it again today. Now you wrote it really, really fast. It feels like, uh, is this one of the faster projects you've ever done? And, and, and I guess that it, that it kind of build on things that you had already been working on before, or was there something already in the works? How, how did you, how did you knock that out so fast? Yeah. Well, like I said, it did build off of what we were already seeing. Um, the mental health issues. Yes, of course. Um, yep. you know, people of faith and People that aren't people of faith both have realized we've got to figure this out. I think mental health is the unpaid bill of the 21st century in America. We mm. have not figured out how to, we were ambushed by the smartphone. We did not know what it would do to us. And are there That's good bad. things about it? Of course there are good things about it, but we didn't know what it would do to the, you know, to the, the, the anxiety, the depression, the panic attacks. So I was already stewing on that. And then this just right. said, okay, forget it. We're just, we're going to town on this. So I'm hoping it's helpful and relevant to, to people when they read it, to get a little, the whole point is eight strategies. What can we do to lead these kids to the other side of this COVID-19 thing with, with hope and resilience and lots of faith in the future? I think it's worth pointing out, um, and you can maybe weigh in on this off the front because what one of the things that I keep finding, whether I'm talking to student pastors or parents, everybody has an opinion about the pandemic itself, right? Yeah. And that's not like we're not here. That really doesn't matter in this conversation in, in terms of what you feel or how serious or not. The The reality is that whether or not you think it's serious or you don't, the the result and the effects that it's having on this generation are profound um, and and seem to be like content. we just keep keep finding other things that these this generation is struggling with as a result of being confined and being separated in the the angst and the unknown of all of that no doubt about it in fact the big $64,000 question is do we side with their physical health and keep them safe or do we side with our mental health and keep them home um, or or let them get out yeah. Uh, so I don't know if you guys saw this, but the CDC just made a report um, over the last 30 days, one in four young adults have contemplated suicide in the last month. I saw that yesterday, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I mean, in case there's somebody out there going, I don't think it's a big deal. You're right. It doesn't matter whether you think it's a big deal. It is to the to the mindset of a kid and to a student. And we've got to figure out a way to lead them out of this well. Well, and that that statistic alone was staggering. I mean, we already saw that. I think I'd seen previously, yeah. you know, 5% of, of teenagers at any given point were struggling with mild depression. Yeah. And yeah. that was before pandemic. Yeah. And so to go f- even with that in mind to where we find ourselves today, um, it, it escalated really, really quickly, it feels like. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. In fact, many of the high school students that I talk to, they're using words like, I feel like I'm postponed. I feel like I'm penalized. And even though they don't blame any one person for sure, that's the feeling they've got. And and again, yeah. I know there's a balance between empathy and, okay, suck it up. Let's go. You got to grow up now. <laughs> But but we've got to find that middle ground of both um, grace and truth. It's, yeah, this is hard for sure, but we can do this. Let's go. So, yeah, okay. I have. So my oldest is a senior this year. Oh, wow. and uh, so we were a couple weeks ago. She said to me in the car, she said, you know, everybody was worried about last year's seniors. They lost their prom. They lost their yeah. graduation. But at least they got to go to class. Like, <laughs> exactly. You know, I, I may end up having nothing. I mean, yeah. it, this may be the whole, you know, and so trying to lead through that as a parent and those conversations yeah. um, is, is hard. Yeah. It's hard. Tim, I'm curious what, you know, you, you did start out and I think you, you talk about this a little bit in the book. I'm curious what, how would you describe for folks listening what's changed? Because one of the things when you talk about the great depression kids, you talk about how they say they didn't realize they were going through yeah, yeah. at the time, but something's changed. Would you, I, I felt like you were saying that in the book in the sense that yeah. this current generation though is fully aware. Is that fair? No doubt about it. Yeah. And, and not the least of which the source is, is social media. Uh, so when I was 12 years old, my biggest problem was how do I find a girlfriend and where's my baseball mitt? And now they're just aware of the, you know, the riots in Portland and the fires in California, Jody, you know, and yeah. just, and I think it's adult information coming at them so rapidly. And the I do believe cognitively they might be ready, but emotionally and socially, I don't know that they're ready. I don't know that their hearts are ready to take in uh, what they're taking in. So um, well, that, we're, we're that, barely ready, right? I mean, in some ways we feel like we're barely ready. I mean, I, yeah, I mean I, yeah. the adults, the parents, the even in my own, I mean, it, 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 everybody's struggling. So yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Uh, you say that a pandemic is a terrible thing to waste. I'm quoting you. Yes. What what do you mean by that? Well, I, it's easy. I think I get it, but I'm just, so that our listeners can hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for the great question. It set me up here. Um, I, I, that chapter was all about how, what if we could see this differently? Um, so we live in a cancel culture and, I think a bunch of our culture in America would like to cancel 2020. You know, just the whole year. <laughs> I'm so bad. I'm so over 2020. Yeah, yeah. But but that chapter is all about let's look at what we could do if we saw this differently. So what if 2020 was a wake up call for all of us? Yeah. And we're all in a bit of a stupor. When things are going well, we don't we don't we're not on our knees as much. We're not you know fighting to find God and and so. Um, I tell the story in that chapter. It's, in fact, if you don't mind, I want to tell it now. It's such a fun Great. story. Yeah, Love no, it. please do. So back in 1665, it was the tail end of the of the Black uh, Death. It was a pandemic that Europe went through for centuries, not decades, centuries. And uh, back in 1665, Isaac Newton was a university student at Cambridge University. He was 22 years old, and this Great Plague of London, which was part of the Black Death, happened. People were dying. And so Cambridge sent all their students home. It was kind of their own version of social distancing. Well, when Isaac Newton gets home to the farmhouse, he could have just vegged and relaxed like most of the students were doing. But he decided, wow, without Cambridge telling me what to do and driving what I study and how I study, I'm going to do this on my own now. So Isaac Newton just starts, well, he invents calculus. 
while he's at home during this quarantine that he's going through. We might not have that course had he not gone through this, you know, great plague of London. Which might not have been. I, mean, yeah, I was going to say that doesn't sound like a terrible. That doesn't terrible to me. Hurt, isn't it? Yeah. Dang. Black plague. Blame it on the good, plague. Good things and bad things happen during pandemics. Yes. Um, but secondly, really kind of cool. He got his hands on a on a prism, and, and bore a hole in the uh, shutter of his window, and started coming up with his theories on optics, which we still use to this day. And then lastly, that proverbial apple fell from the tree that we all heard about in school. And he came up with the laws of motion and the law of gravity all while he was an early 20 something away in a pandemic. Well, a year, you know, a year later, he, he goes back to Cambridge, theories in hand. And within six months, he's made a fellow. Within another year, he's a full on professor. And I would say he didn't waste a pandemic. So what if we could help our students say, since nobody's there like they used to be to tell you how to handle this time or that time or whatever, uh, with all that free time or with the extra free time, what could you do? How could you practice metacognition where you figure out what you're going to study, how you're going to study it, and what conclusions you're going to draw? This could be that we see the greatest Gen Z discoveries. And, and we all look back and say, you know what? It was that crazy year 2020 when we went forward so fast because nobody was telling them what to do. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be awesome. So since we're talking to youth pastors, your audience right now is definitely youth pastors. You were a youth pastor. You've had teenagers. If I, if I remember reading the book, I mean, you've, you've raised kids. Yeah. What encouragement would you give to youth pastors? I say encouragement. I mean, what would it, maybe advice would be better what I'm asking. What advice would you give to youth pastors as far as, what we should be focusing on right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, now, now we, I think we want to come back in a minute. I think Jody may have a question related to parenting, which is a little bit different in some ways, but for my youth pastor, like I'm, I'm a youth pastor. I'm trying to get things back going again. I'm running into kids. What advice would you give? Yeah, great. That's a great question. Well, first of all, if you're a result oriented personality as a youth pastor, you're wondering what these kids, these lazy bums, what are they doing? Uh, Let me just say the obvious. We've got to lead with empathy because we don't know what kind of anguish is going on inside. Even if they're posting silly stuff on TikTok, on the inside, it might be that they're really struggling and they're just hiding behind that silly post. So I would say three things real quick to a youth pastor. Um, Kids need three gifts during a disruption like this. The first one is context. I think we do well to a young teenager to say, let me give you context on this. Um, uh, And and by the way, by context, I mean, give them a sense of history uh, that we, for instance, you might say, this is a really hard time, but did you know this is the fourth pandemic we've gone through in the last century? It is. And each time while people did die, and that was awful, some of the greatest vaccines and discoveries and inventions happened. So you give them a sense of, okay, this is not the first time. So context offers perspective. The second gift I think they, that kids need, that students need, is applications. When we go through a disruption and we're feeling anguish, we often get flooded and we feel overwhelmed and what do I do? And the amygdala kicks in in our brain and we're going fight or flight, fight or flight. We're not thinking logically. So good leaders offer clear, actionable steps, applications. This offers clarity to them. 
what they're really needing most in this time when things are really weird and ambiguous is clarity. So even though you can't say a lot in this time because you don't have clarity on a lot, but you got clarity on a little bit, share the little bit. Here's what you got to do this week, guys. And you offer those clear, clear, actionable steps. The third gift, um, which probably is obvious to every youth pastor in the country, they need belief. And not just faith in God, for sure about that. But they need to know you believe in them. So be authentic. Don't make this up. But they need to hear you say, you know what? This is hard. But I believe we're not only going to make it through. We're going to be stronger than ever. We're going to be a brush fire, not a candle. We're not going to be put out quickly. We're going to get stronger with the with the winds. Uh, Joe, do you understand this? You're in California right now. Yeah. The, yeah. the fires are stronger when the winds are stronger. That's how we got to be. So anyway, all that to say, context, applications, and belief. This is going to sound cheesy now, guys. But they spell the word CAB it's, if it's an acronym. Uh, and so every time, every every morning when I get up, I tell myself before I leave my team, I got to get in the cab before I, if I'm going to get to my destination, got to get in the cab. So I, I remember context applications of belief are what good leaders offer people, especially students during these times. Oh, that's super, that's super helpful. I think, because I think a lot of youth pastors probably find themselves feeling similar to the yeah. student in the yeah. sense that. Because, I mean, and Chris and I have talked about this a lot in the sense that, I mean, student ministry has been canceled, right? I mean, the yeah. things that yeah. like summer, the normal summer events, mission trips and camps and all of that gone. Um, yeah. So all of that relational time that you mm-hmm. normally have, and depending on where you are, even right now, serving and what the limitations are, like some of that's still gone. Uh and yeah. so I think as a student pastor, a lot of student pastors are struggling like, man, okay, how do I even, we're having to reinvent. And, and this is, I think, a good thing, not a bad thing, but reinvent yeah. some, of some of what we're doing. So, yeah, no doubt about it. It's so true. Let's uh, transition maybe then. Jody, you had, you were thinking about parents there for a minute earlier. Yeah. So I, I you know, I've had, I think we're all finding ourselves in conversations with parents and with students. Yeah. Um, yeah. Parents are struggling with how to guide these conversations and they have varying opinions of what is important and what is not. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, especially maybe in a culture where education has been seen for so long now as kind of the most important pinnacle yeah. And that that's all been blown up and it's so true. Yeah. You know, how how I mean what kind of advice would you give to a student pastor who's trying to lead that conversation with parents? Um and and maybe even to frame that, I even give him like a young student pastor. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So like yeah. or not a parent probably themselves or if they are very small kids who's having to really step in now and try to speak to parents who are parenting teens? That's a huge question. In fact, what's going through my mind right now is how divided the high school students or middle school students see the adult population right now. Uh, we've got an election year. We've got protests going on. People are divided about that. Uh, we got we got a pandemic and we're divided about that. Should we wear a mask? Should we not wear a mask? So I think it's going to be important for that youth pastor to interface with parents and say, 
whatever we do, let's come together and have a united front in leading these kids. We're not going to agree on everything, but these students need to see adults get along. I mean, that mm-hmm. seems like a fundamental, but to be civil and um, sometimes in the church, there's not civility. Um, so that. that would be big idea number one. We can camp out there if you want, but here's what I would say. Youth pastors, I would share a, a, a handful of items with those moms and dads who are probably struggling right now themselves emotionally, and maybe their venting comes out on you because they're not quite sure what to do. So here, here's a handful of ideas that I think are really, really helpful for moms and dads that you might share. Feel free to steal. Um, <laughs> number one, always cover personal items before work items. During a time where they're doing remote learning or they're still kind of feeling weird and strange about this pandemic, I think if they know you care most about their personal well-being and you're voicing that, they'll get to the schoolwork. They'll get to the homework. They'll get to the chores that need to be done. But personal before work. Uh, With my team, I've got a team of a bunch of 20-somethings and 30-somethings. I've got to lean in and say, are you guys okay? I just want to make sure you're okay. And I need to mean it. But if I do that, I think they're going to lean in and say, okay, thanks for caring for me. Now I'll care about the work that needs to get done. Hope that makes sense. Secondly, I think we need to have hard conversations before easy ones. Hmm. So this is counterintuitive. Uh, Whenever we got good news and bad news to share, we always want to jump to the good news first because, you know, we want people happy, not sad. But I think we need to say, let me share the hard stuff first, then go to the easy stuff. Let me tell you what happens in high schoolers if we don't do this, especially skeptics, and they exist among adolescents. Start thinking you're a spin doctor. If you're not, if you're not sharing the hard stuff, they're going, what are you hiding? What You're a spin doctor here, you know? So I think jump right in and say, listen, guys, here's the deal. We have more infections this month. What we need to do is X, Y, Z, A, B, C, but do the hard. Then you get to go to the easy stuff. I'll tell you who's actually done this well is Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York. Um, If you remember when the pandemic broke in April and May, he was on the air nationally because New York was struggling so much. And while I don't agree with everything Andrew Cuomo does, he handled the press conferences so well because it was hard before easy, hard before easy, hard before easy. And he really became across believable. We've got to do that too. Last thing, big picture before smaller details. So very often we as youth student pastors or parents are just jumping into the details and we get all frazzled because the details aren't being taken care of. I actually think your kids need to see the box top to the puzzle before we give them the puzzle. Hmm. So they're wondering where their piece fits. But if you'll say, hey, let me show you the box top and you you show them the big picture. There's that context thing again. Then you can go back and say, all right, here's where your puzzle piece, piece fits in. So personal before work. Hard before easy, big picture before smaller details. I think that's the best way to lead a young human that really needs to be led well right now. Now, 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 younger, uh, longer haul listeners, listen, folks. I hope you heard that. And here's what I'm recommending: uh, that you 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 rewind and you write those down. And if you've not done any type of parent training, any type of investment encouraging email, Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And and I'm saying on all three of those, blame Dr. Tim Elmore on all three of those. <laughs> if they don't work, blame Elmore. That's right. I mean, if you're old enough that you can get by saying it, great. But but I'm saying like, uh, the say, hey, I, I was listening to this podcast and he talked to parents and these are the three things he said. Thought we might could have a conversation about these three things. And there's a training for you right there and a way that you can encourage, especially if you've not, if you're one of our younger listeners who does not have kids yet or has not raised teenagers yet. Yeah. Uh, that would be an opportunity for you to, to share that, that that's really good, really good stuff. Gold. You, you mentioned, you mentioned a bit in the book about, um, the, your messaging to your kids and, and, uh, kind of questioning or, or, uh, you know, when, when you're, when you're communicating to your kids, okay, what are, there were some questions you brought up about how to evaluate. Are you communicating clearly? Are you communicating healthy? Uh, things like, I don't know, do, do you have a, a, some suggestions or some guidance even in those, or maybe even just those questions might be enough for the folks that have sure. read the book? Yeah. Well, um, I'm not remembering if I put this in that section of the book, but I really believe I, if I'm going to lead, well, I've got to be a listener first. Mm-hmm. So uh, I got to listen, empathize and guide, listen, empathize and guide. So I think our best conversations with our young people is going to be that flow uh, yeah. which, by the way, it's hard for me because I want to talk. Can you tell I like to speak? But I bet you every student pastor out there is liking to speak. Yeah. And I'm saying maybe you need to not speak first, but listen first and then feel with them and then say, OK, now I hope I've earned the right to offer some guidance. So here's a here's a couple of thoughts. Um, and Jody, I'm not sure if this is what you're looking for, but oh, yeah. the things that are going through my mind. One is I think we need to make a habit of of talking about the silver lining. My mom was so good at this whenever we went through hard times growing up. We didn't go through a pandemic. Well, we did. In 1968, I was in the third grade and the Hong Kong flu broke out. And it was a pandemic. But by the way, get this. It didn't even make the front page of the paper. Mm. It was a global pandemic. In fact, the it was fascinating reading about that because I had never heard of the Hong Kong flu. Yeah. No, me well, either. And I was like, what? We didn't because... The medical profession handled it, not the politicians. And we made our way through it and we came up with a vaccine. And But think about it. I mean, Woodstock happened during 1968 and 1970. I can't believe 400,000 people were partying together in New York. And that's just crazy to me. But um, anyway, back to my mom. Make a habit of talking about the silver line. So one of the things my mom did, she would listen when I would complain or mope or, you know, whatever. She made sure I felt heard. But she was so good at saying, now, you know, that's a dark cloud, but there's a silver lining. And she would point it out. Now, a teenager is going to go, oh, yeah, that's whatever. (laughs) But I think if we do that enough, and it is a habit, we'll condition their brains to do it for themselves. And to be able to, by the time they turn 18, 19, 20 years old, they're finding silver linings. We've got to do this. Um, Here's another thing I would say. Uh, Parents out there break down their hardships into digestible bites in their minds. Mm. It's like when our kids are really young, two years old, three years old, we cut their food up into little bites. And by the way, the younger the child, the smaller the bite would have to be cut into. I think when they get overwhelmed with schoolwork or this chore or that project, and they will get overwhelmed. Right now, they're, they're often flooding. I think we need to say, all right, it's a big project, but let's break it down to doable bites. Here's what you do today. Here's what you do tonight. Is what you do tomorrow. Um, I just feel like that's huge. Let me share one more quick thought. 
I, uh, there's a psychological term that's really helpful. We've got to identify their cognitive distortions and really um, help them see their distortions. So um, you guys have probably heard this term, but maybe some of the listeners have not. Cognitive distortions are when we do um, all or nothing, uh, nothing thinking, you know, black and white. Everything's really e- either really awful or really awesome. And you and I both know that's not true. It's not awesome. We use that word way too much. And it's not <laughs> awful. So cognitive distortions are when we say, no, wait a minute. What you just said is not completely true. I know you feel that way, Jessica or Josh, but and you and you begin to identify them. And in, in the book, in the appendix, I try to list, you know, 10 or 12 common cognitive distortions in teenagers that we've just got to call out and not let them go form that narrative where in 2021 and 2022, they've got this horrible narrative because we didn't guide the forming of that narrative. So I'll stop there and, and hopefully that's that's helpful. This is good. good. This is good stuff. Uh, here's what I want to do, Jody, uh, if it's okay. I, I, I want to I jump in for a minute. I have a question related to youth ministry programming. Uh, okay. So I'd like, to talk, I'd like to talk about that with you for a second, Tim. But then I want to make sure we leave the last part to talk about uh, playing a part in the student's narrative. So yeah. that's where I'd like to head. So here's a quick question related to programming, and then let's jump into the narrative thing. Okay. Uh, if it's true that youth ministry is all, is often program based, yeah, okay. So I think we could probably make an argument that we have been program based for a long. Not not every. Of course, there are exceptions. Yeah. Mostly though, we we could say that we've been program based. What shift do you think needs to take place, if any, in response to the pandemic? Wow. That probably deserves an hour. I probably and should have. I probably should have sent you that one in advance. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that would have been well, fair. But I'm just, I'm just curious. What I mean, you know, but you're a youth yeah. pastor at heart, and because yeah, once you absolutely. have that in your blood, you've got it, and it's there. Well, I would say, uh, I would say, my the first thing that comes to my mind there is we probably need to move from program based in our thinking to process based. There's a slight difference. I mean, you may think there's not a difference, but I think there's a slight difference. So I think we put way too much stock in America into events, you know, holding meetings and events and retreats and conferences. We're very event-based. That's in many ways, that's kind of what you're saying. Here's this program. Yes, yes, yep, yep. But if we're process-oriented, it doesn't mean we don't need events. I think events are helpful. They catalyze thinking and maybe we have a prayer conference. We go, oh my gosh, I ought to pray more. You know, that, that thought is catalyzed. But the process is really where our lives change where day in and day out, week in and week out, we continue to discuss and apply what we talked about at that event. So youth pastors, what I would say is, what would you do if you went back to the drawing board? What Maybe a good way to say it is if you walked out of the church building and walked back in and said, if I was a start all over, what would I do now? Well, you might do very many things differently. But one of them I would hope would be, What's the process they're going to need to go through to come out on the other side of this as a graduate with an accurate memory and a positive narrative? That's what I'm after. Accurate memory. We were we were not wearing rose-colored glasses. We realized that was a hard time, but yeah. positive narrative. So process-oriented means you're thinking what are, what are the inputs and the outcomes, inputs and outcomes that they're going to need. By the way, another thing in the church we're awful at we're good at uh, man. Uh, I'm sorry. We're good at measuring inputs, lots of activities, 
we're not so good at measuring outcomes. And that's what Jesus is judging us off. What's the fruit? What's the fruit coming out of your ministry? Mm. Uh, so I think we need to do that. So that would be what I would say. Process, process, process. What's the process they need to go through to grow? Good. That's great. Great, 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 great. Well, you really do talk a whole lot about uh, students that ultimately, I feel like one thing that just kind of is sprinkled in throughout the entire book uh, is this idea of the impact we can have on a student's narrative. Yeah. As we kind of start to wrap this thing up, what is your heart behind that? And what would you say, what would you want to leave with youth pastors when it comes to the potential impact that we have on their narrative? Yeah, it's a, thank you for asking that question, by the way. Um, it's huge. It's the, really the biggest idea, I think, uh, that I tried to add in the book. And I don't know if I did a good job, but I tried. Um, so let me tell you what was sparked and then what I, what I think we can do. Um, so my family had a little reunion some years ago. And I was with my sisters. We're all full-grown adults. In fact, older adults now. But we were reminiscing about our childhood and the memories we had. So on vacations, uh, you know, boyfriends, girlfriends, all the things that stood out in our memories. But what I noticed from those conversations was my sisters and I had some very similar memories, but many different memories. Even though we grew up in the same home with the same parents, eating the same green beans, very different memories. For instance, my older sister and I have extremely different memories of my father. And that triggered some research on my part. I read a couple of books on the scientific research on memories. You know, memories are not accurate. They are reconstructed. We think they're accurate. But you know the, the story we've all heard about Uncle Joe who caught that fish that was 10 inches long and by 10 years later, it's 10 <laughs> feet long, you know, that sort of thing. Yep, yep. Our memories are reconstructed. They just are. So if that's true, our kids are going to come out of this pandemic with a memory. And I'm thinking if they come out without any guidance from us and it's just negative and, um, you know, negative. Yeah. Just not faith, not hope. Just that was, you know, I'll never recover. I'll never catch up. This was awful. I was penalized. While you could make an argument for that, I don't think that's biblical. Mm -hmm. So I think the best leaders are going, okay, you're going to have a narrative when this is all over. You're going to remember it. Let's let the memory be accurate. So I would suggest, here's my first suggestion, everybody, make a pro and con list. Sometime at your youth meeting or Zoom call, make a pro and con list from the pandemic so far. And make sure you do pros and cons. So the cons will not be hard. Everybody's going to say, oh, my gosh, this sucks, you know. But make some pros. So when you do the cons, everybody's going to say, well, he's being honest with us. He realizes there are negatives. But when you do the pros, they're going to begin to see, oh, my gosh, yeah. That's true. That happened, and that was a good thing. So now we can capitalize on what the Holy Spirit's trying to do during this pandemic. So once you've done that, I think it's important to begin to tell stories from past generations who did take a horrible disadvantage and make it an advantage. Like I mentioned, Isaac Newton. Okay, so you can Google those, and I even put some in the book, um, stories from people that went through tough times. But here's how we need to end up. We need to end up leading these students with high expectations and high belief. Now, here's the, here's the importance of that. High expectations has been proven ever since 1968, Dr. Robert Rosenthal, psychologist. Whenever kids are led by a teacher or a leader who has high expectations, they tend to perform better. That makes sense, doesn't it? I, yeah. The kids yeah. respond to the expectations of the leader. 
But since 1968, we've learned that high expectations alone aren't enough. In fact, sometimes adults might level too high of an expectation and the kids start getting paralyzed emotionally. You know, it's that tiger mom that says, you'll never eat dinner unless you master the violin or something like that. You know, Mm -hmm. the kid just spirals down. So here's where belief comes in. When we begin to articulate, I do expect a lot and I believe you can do this. We have a powerful combination. And by the way, can I just say the obvious? Don't we see this in Jesus? When he meets the woman at the well or the rich young ruler or whoever, high expectation, kind of harsh, high belief. Oh, that feels good. So let me give you a phrase, listeners, that you can use. Some Ivy League schools, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, got together and they were researching teacher feedback on middle school students. Okay, teacher feedback. So the students had turned in an assignment and then the teachers handed it back with some notes on it in red ink. Never fun. But they were trying different responses to see what would elicit the best effort on the part of the students. The phrase that was number one, that was so good that the, te- that the researchers said it was almost magical, was this simple phrase. I'm giving you this feedback because I have high expectations of you, and I know you can reach them. Hmm. Now you see the high belief and high expectation? I'm giving you this feedback because I have high expectations, and... I know you can reach them. They said, especially for male students, the effort went up as much as 320%. It was crazy. In fact, uh, people of color, males of color, they had never, they had never had a male say something like that to them. So I'm just saying, um, I'm sorry. The words are not magical, but the thought is so Christ-like and it's so magic. And I think the only way we're going to make it through this pandemic with a good attitude So we say, I so believe in these kids and I expect them to come through and I'm going to give them assignments that match that expectation. So I'll stop there. That's good. That's good. No, it's really good. I I was even thinking as you're talking. So my uh, second daughter, I have four kids, my second daughter. And when she hit junior high, she kind of breezed through elementary school, got to junior high and was struggling a bit early in sixth grade and uh, not not failing by any means but just not yeah not not living up to what you yes. know every everybody kind of felt and so we had a uh teacher conference with her, one of her teachers and uh he said you know i i anna's grades are fine they're okay yeah. but i know that she can do better yeah and so she he he literally sat there with her and said uh I believe in you and I can see that you're able wow. to do more. And so I'm expecting more of you because I know that you can do it. And I've thought about that conversation a lot the past few mm-hmm. weeks, because now as we're sitting here in this pandemic, she's thriving. Wow. And now I'm looking at my 11 year old son who's struggling, similar age. Yeah. Um, and, and thinking, gosh, what a pivotal moment that was. And I had not really, I mean, like even this conversation right now, you saying that just, uh, man, emphasizes to me the importance of that moment in my yeah, daughter's life yeah. from that teacher. And I don't know that in the church specifically, we mm-hmm. do that well. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I, can I volley back on that? Yeah. I think you're spot on. I think we either do one or the other. We're either really harsh <laughs> and these kids are lazy slackers 
or we're just, oh, we just have compassion and we don't expect much. So we need to be velvet covered bricks, velvet mm. covered bricks. That's one of our habitudes, the images that form yeah. leadership habits and attitudes. So youth pastors, parents listening, velvet on the outside, grace, belief, attention, acceptance. I know, you know, but inside brick, because I believe in you, we're going to expect a lot of you. But that velvet brick is exactly what Jesus was, exactly what we need to be, especially in this time of, of uh, disruption. Yeah. Man. Well, Tim, thank you so much. Uh, I know we could talk forever about this. And uh, the book so is good. so good. So, so, so good. If you've not yet grabbed the book, I, we, I can't recommend it enough to you. We'll put a link for that in the show notes so that you can um, find it. If folks wanted to follow up and connect with you or find you or other things that you've done, where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah, thanks, Jody. Um, the easiest and simplest way to find me and our work is growingleaders.com, growingleaders.com. Um, this pandemic population book is there, but also the Habitudes and um, other books for parents and things like that. So I am, I've so enjoyed being with you guys. I think I'm with people of kindred hearts and it's um, it's up to us to make sure these kids turn out well. So thanks for going after what you're doing. Uh, Tim, well, thank you. Appreciate so you, man. Thank you so yeah, much for your time. Good. And we'll catch you on the flip side. Wherever Sounds that good. is. Okay, yeah, thanks. Awesome, man. Thanks. Told you you were going to want to take notes. Jiminy Crickets, that's good. I don't know why. I'm, Jiminy Crickets is like my word for the day. Anyway, uh, man, it was good. Seriously. I love that guy. I've never yeah. met him in person. No. But, I but feel I'm like, a fan. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, for sure. Um I think one of the things that's interesting, a lot of times when we interview folks, um, you know, we'll kind of read whatever or have a conversation or watch whatever it is. And I think, oh, yeah, there's some really good things here we could pull out and talk about. Um, I was a little nervous on this one, to be honest, because I read the book and there was so much there yeah. that I wanted to talk about. And I knew we wouldn't be able to. Um, and, uh, it was great. Well, and I think a lot of people maybe are a little skeptical skeptical because it came out so fast. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. at first, I, honestly, I was like, well, that was fast. But truthfully, I'm telling you, the research, he pulled oh, it off so and he good. researched it. And and, uh, and I think his heart comes out. I can't think of another yeah. no, interview. So I mean, he got emotional at the end, you know, and I think that's because his heart was really in it. And I can't think of another interview where anybody got emotional. Not because of something. I mean, we probably made people emotional before, like in a because we're terrible kind of way, but not in a, because they actually were passionate about what they were talking about. I loved it. Loved it. It was so good. So, so thankful for that. It was great. Thanks for yep. uh, listening and uh, tuning in today. Make sure you head over to YM360, uh, check out their stuff as well as Aerosport. And then our brand new sponsor. Uh, Smartphones dash 101. I don't know why he did a dash thing. I want to make fun of that when I talk to him, but anyway, that's what it is. Smartphones dash 101.com. And it's an amazing series on parenting and smartphones. Good stuff. Super helpful. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace out. See you.